Hi, everybody. Welcome to another in the series of the PR Masters podcast series. I'm Art Stevens, your host, and I'm also managing partner of the Stevens Group, a leading facilitator of mergers and acquisitions in the PR and digital interactive space. As you know by now, the PR Masters podcast honors living legends in our profession, individuals who have made the mark in the world of public relations. And we have a very special guest today. She is a real consummate professional, and I'm glad to say that I, I know her well from our industry, and I have a great deal of respect for her. And I'm so glad that Christine Barney, uh, head of RBB Communications, has joined us today. Christine is CEO and managing partner of RBB Communications, and RBB is a triple threat, repeatedly recognized as champions in the field of PR, digital marketing, and creative services. In 2020 alone, RBB was among the top five global creative agencies of the year. Wow. The Provoke U.S. Small Agency of the Year, named to the Forbes top PR firms, and took home campaign honors in every competition entered. Now, RBB is a certified women-owned business with a diverse team across a broad spectrum of crafts, including healthcare, consumer services, products, luxury, lifestyle, B2B, professional services, real estate, and travel. Now, Christine herself is the author of the, the Breakout Brand, Strategy, and Evolutionary Approach to Creating Customer Passion. And her firm, which is headquartered in, in Miami, with a presence in Los Angeles and New York, is known as the Champion of Breakout Brands. Now, Christine is going to tell us about the innovative management style that she has uh, achieved within RBB, which allows her firm to be a repeated winner in Best Place to Work. She's active in her home state, having served as founding chair of the South Florida Business Council, past chair of the Greater Miami Chamber of Commerce, a board member of the Orange Bowl Committee, wow, and board member of the Beacon Council. She is a member of the Page Society, and she is accredited by the Public Relations Society of America, where she received the 2016 Bill Adams PRSA Lifetime Achievement Award. But most important, she is a relatively new grandmother, having just told me that her, her first grandchild was born May of 2020. So congratulations, Christine, for becoming a first-time grandma, and welcome to PR Masters Podcast Series. Thank you so much, Art. I'm very happy to be here and looking forward to the conversation. Well, we're going to have an interesting conversation because you have such a unique background. And so one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is uh, actually your, your headquarters location, which is in Miami. Um, now, tell me why, how you got to Miami. I don't know if you're a native of uh, Florida or what, but how did, how did the firm happen to start in Miami? And how were you able to achieve you know, revenues exceeding $15 million from Miami? You're one of the fastest-growing firms in the country. Uh, which is obviously another red ribbon on your many lists of achievements. How did you do it? Sure. Well, thank you. Well, I actually always call myself sort of an accidental Miamian. I grew up in New York, went to college in New York, started my career at first in Mars Teller in New York, and it was my uh, ex-husband who made me move. It was my turn to move after he'd gone to law school in New York because of my job. And it's kind of a, an interesting uh, twist in that I ended up moving a few months before him to set up house and in the end, he decided not to come. He took a job in New York, and he never came, and I ended up falling in love with the entrepreneurial community here 
and staying. And I've been here now more than 30 years. So in wow. terms of uh, how I started uh, or in terms of how the firm has grown, I started working with a, a firm, which is Bruce Rubin Associates. Bruce was a great mentor. I've been here a, a long time. Uh, and we evolved the firm together. And, and basically, uh, after we, he sold the firm, we were the second firm acquired by Weber Shamwick back in 1997, and I stayed for my full five years. And then in 2001, I decided I missed being an entrepreneur, and I started RBB. And it was a simple formula, really. It builds a place where great people want to work, the clients will stay, where the people stay, and then everyone grows. And the way you do that is by listening and learning from others. I learned a lot from my time with Bruce, from my time at Weber Shamwick, from going to events like the Page Society, PRSA, and the very kind uh, PR people who I met who were willing to share strategies, information, challenges, and solutions. And, and really putting all that to work to be prepared to invest in long term, even at the expense of, of short-term profits. So I think that's why our, our agency has always been very proud of the path we've taken because we've done it by holding to our values of building a place where great people want to work and where clients want to stay. Wow. So what's it like, uh, you know, uh, having a firm in Miami? Obviously, you know, you, you, you're, uh, you're born and raised in New York and you've spent a lot of time in New York and, and you described how you got, got down to Miami. What is different about the Miami marketplace as opposed to, say, the New York City marketplace? Well, I, again, I think it goes back to that entrepreneurial spirit. You know, I, I grew up in the Bronx. My father was a, a police officer. My mom was a teacher. I didn't know any entrepreneurs. There was no one in my neighborhood who owned a business. We just didn't think about it. But here in Miami, everywhere you go, there's people with ideas, people who are looking to start something, to build something. It's a very welcoming place in that if you have a thought and idea, there are going to be 10 people who have suggestions on who you should connect with or how things should go. And I really found that energy and enthusiasm uh, not only incredible, but the diversity of people here is similar to a big city. I mean, everyone thinks that we're just mostly Hispanic, but there, the, the diversity even within the Hispanic cultures and now that we've become so much more of an international city, there's people here from countries all over. You, you just have such an energy and enthusiasm that you really do feel like if you have a thought and you want to bring it to life, this is the place where it can happen. We're seeing a very, very quick aside. Uh, I'm from the Bronx, too. Where in the Bronx did you go? <laughs> East to 33rd Street, <laughs> right, right near Mount St. Michael's Boys Catholic School. Well, I grew up around, you know, where Tremont Avenue and Southern Boulevard is? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I know the name. That's yeah, where I we grew were. Up. Yep. I, I meet a lot of Bronxites, and we all enjoyed that uh, documentary <laughs> series, The Bronx, too. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, it's nice to meet another person from the Bronx. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you, you are an advocate of quality of life in the workplace, Christine. Um, you're well known for this, uh, and obviously you have made you've done some innovative things with your agency. So how did this evolve in your business, and and how do you distinguish what you've done from other agencies? Sure. Well, I like to start by saying that you know we all read a lot of business books, and I have a ton of them. But there's one book that's always at the top of the pile on my desk, and it's called The No Assholes Rule by Robert Sutton. Um, so we started the agency with the idea that we wanted to work with good people for good people. And, you know, I know that sounds simple, but we in the service business often put up with a lot of very toxic workplaces from the clients and from the, the workplaces themselves. And our rationale went beyond saying, oh, we just want to be good human beings. Uh, it, it's better business 
You know, so if you don't allow jerks in the workplace just because you think they're a rainmaker or critical to some aspect of the business or you keep a toxic client because you don't want to lose the revenue, it's going to cost you more in the long run because your people will leave. It will keep you from getting that next better client. And I saw this time and time again, you know, over the years to the point where I said, I want to have an agency where we offer two words, flexibility and respect. We started from day one. Everyone chooses when, where, and how they work. If you have a West Coast client and you want to work late, you have an early bird client, you know best how to serve them. We measure outcomes, not just outputs by the hour. And everyone is treated like an adult and has our trust and respect on day one. You can only lose respect. And too often you come into organizations with this, what I call thou shalt not mentality. You get a whole list of all the things you can't do, shouldn't do, have to be you know, on guard against, as opposed to being empowered to do the things that are going to make the business better. So we call it an employee-driven workplace. And that really is uh, true, not just in sort of the, the, the values or the PR speak, but in actuality. Every decision in the agency is made with employee input. Everyone in the firm participates in one of four operational groups that does our operations, our marketing, our professional development, and our team uh, and networking, uh, fostering team uh, relationships. And you belong to those groups like an account. You get a certain amount of time that you can put against it. And all those decisions are made by the people in the trenches. So I'm not the only one who decides which media software we use. Why would I? I don't use it every day the same way other people do. The people who use it make the decisions, they make their recommendations, and then it comes up to me. And I think that the employee-driven workplace overly, uh, with an overline of no jerks in the workplace is what really makes us different. <laughs> what, well, what kind of a recruitment uh, method do you use, I mean, to – to distinguish the jerks from, from you know, the uh, achievers? Sure. Well, first of all, we did think it was important. Several years ago, we hired our own in-house talent managers early on when we were of a size that probably many people thought we were silly to add the expense. But having someone who knows you manage the process professionally, I think, is, is the first step. Because many agencies, especially, you know, when you're smaller at the beginning, independent agencies, it's kind of willy-nilly. Or it's done by you know, one person who tends to hire people who look like them. And so I think that the first part was really making sure that you have a process that helps identify the, the right kind of person that you want in the agency. The second part is because we are employee driven, again, you go through a very rigorous interview process where you will meet a lot of people. And there are many times when people in the agency will just say, I don't think this person is a team player, or they gave these uh, examples. Also, because of the way we set up the agency, you know, from day one, again, we never had private offices. We are a very flat organization. And I can usually tell when people come in and they see that, if they don't like that or they start to feel like it's not boosting enough to their ego, they're not going to be a fit. So we have our criteria clearly laid out. And, you know, it, it usually works in terms of, you know, there are very few circumstances where we feel like we've made a bad hire because we made a, the wrong culture fit. We may not have had the right skill fit for what the needs were, but usually culture is not where we lose. So, Christine, uh, give, me, give me some background on your agency. You know, uh, we're dancing around it a little bit in terms of, you know, the quality mm -hmm. of life that, you, that you've achieved. Tell us about your agency. What, what, what are the areas, you know, that you uh, provide service in? What types of uh, client niches are you in? And uh, also, what, 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 are your, what are your plans for the future in terms of, uh, I presume, continued growth for the agency? So give us the, you know, the 25-cent uh, tour of your agency. Sure. Well, I think that 
uh, as an independent agency, we are diverse in our client base. We have some key areas where we focus on what you mentioned earlier in terms of uh, some sectors where we have more work, whether it's energy, healthcare, travel, uh, real estate, B2B. But I think the, the real definition of the agency is the way we have adapted to the way communications has changed. So we started as a pure PR agency. And then back in 2015, we started to say we needed to start to take advantage of the changes in the communications world. And we did some small acquisitions to start adding in creative services, digital tools, website SEO development, and then advertising uh, as well as uh, starting to look at analytics and research. So by really thinking of our agency as how do we provide uh, almost like a McKinsey-like approach to clients to say, we're going to counsel you based on what your business needs are. And sometimes that means you're not going to want to hire us. We're going to tell you what we think you need. But if you do need to hire us, we have someone who could sit at the table with all of your partners. Or if you need us to do it all, you know, we will tell you which areas we can do, and then we're going to be able to do it and do it well. And so I think that what we're really known for in our agency is that kind of straight talk, our ability to be agile and C-suite oriented in terms of delivering strategic solutions. People don't hire us just for arms and legs. Uh, we don't do a lot of events. Uh, we, we tend to do more of the, the counseling type work, corporate communications, and working for marketing in terms of driving leads. Uh, and I think that, again, goes back to, you know, the employee-driven workplace because our employees, you know, I, I would say, you said something earlier, too, I just wanted to add about work-life balance. You know, I don't believe there is work-life balance. There's, there's only blend. You know, this is a 24-7 business, and you can't fit all your business between 9 and 5, and you can't fit your life into nights and weekends. So, you know, if you have to take your mom to the doctor at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I don't care. And that sometimes that means your client's going to want you to do a call from California at 7 at night, then we say yes. So our agency is very keen on being known for being responsive to the client, being supportive of whatever it is that the client needs, and, again, focusing on the digital, creative, PR or um, corporate communications tactics that are required to get the job done so that the client gets the outcomes they're looking for, not just the outputs. So given all this, uh, Christine, where would you like your, your agency to be, say, in five years? What's your, what's your game plan? Where, what, what do you want to achieve? Um, where will you be? Well, in five years, one of the, one of our, we have five-year strategic plans. We do them every year. Uh, every, um, we update it every year. We're on our third strategic plan. And the strategic plan that we're working on right now that we just started in 2020 right before the pandemic started was we want to be a creative powerhouse. We really want to see uh, people understand that we wrote the book on brand love. We've been doing our breakout brand research for the past eight years. And we want to show how that can translate beyond just PR into truly being a, a, a strategic approach that our clients will use across the board, meaning they think of us not just for the PR, but for the creative, for the advertising, for all of their, their integrated needs. And we're very excited about the, the advances that we've made in terms of growing our internal research and analytics, starting to look at how we add more creative content, elevating the role. You know, for example, many agencies, you have silos of here are the PR people and they lead. Or if you're an ad agency, then the account service people lead and, you know, PR is the stepchild. We really want to try and create what we, what we call, you know, the way our crafts work is that there's just as much value in these crafts that should be considered equal at the table when you're looking at creating a program. 
And that's why when we look at all of our people, you see a very flat organizational chart because the account service person who talks with the most senior client is not more important than the creative director who has to deliver on that creative. And so we're hoping to create an agency where, again, there's that equality, where we're agnostic in terms of what we recommend. It's not, oh, we're PR first or we're digital first. It's we're client first. And to have clients really see us as that integrated, creative agency who can help solve their problems. How do you get uh, your business? Is it mostly uh, word of mouth? Is it mostly uh, through uh, referrals? Or do you do any uh, uh, any marketing for new business? Sure. Again, at the same time we hired a talent manager, we hired our own in-house marketing director because we didn't want to be one of those agencies where the shoemaker's children go bare. But um, I, I think it's a combination. You know, we started early on doing award entries and that wasn't for ego as much as it was for the recognition. Our team members really want to know that they're setting the bar higher, that they're setting standards. Our clients want to see that their work is recognized by their peers. Um, I belong to things like, uh, as you so kindly uh, sponsored me for a page so that we can meet other people, learn best practices, be a part of what's happening in the industry. You know, um, a lot of the advances we've made in context uh, are because of what I've heard and learned through the page uh, society. So I think that part of the, the new business development marketing is making sure that the RBB brand is out there. And we do that through awards. We do that through speaking engagements. We do that through trade groups. But I'm very proud to say that almost 50% of our growth is organic. It comes from referral. It comes from our current clients. We have an incredible tenure. We have the average tenure in our firm for staff is seven years, and the average tenure for our clients is also seven years. And I always say those two numbers aren't a coincidence, right? Because the people stay, the clients stay, if the people stay. Um, to clients who have followed me from the days when I was at Bruce Rubin Associates to today, I have two clients who have been with me more than 28 years. And oh they stay because we're constantly delivering. So the word of mouth is incredible. But yes, you know, I mean, today you're silly if you're not building a website that's search engine optimized and you're not putting out your thought leadership and we blog regularly and I'm very active on LinkedIn. And I think it's not, uh, I used to think some agencies used to say, we don't have to market. People just come to us. And I think that's foolishness. Why wouldn't you market? Why wouldn't you market for the clients you want? Otherwise you just get who comes to you, but I want to shape the, what comes over the transom to be those clients that are most exciting for our team and, and to embrace those challenges that are going to make us happy. So it sounds like uh, you are a, a, uh, an absorber of uh, information around you, and you're very actively seeking ways to better the agency, and uh, you, you turn to the experts out there. Is that a, a way of characterizing what you do? Absolutely. I mean, I know we had talked at one point about, you know, what are you going to go in the future, or why do you do this? I love this job because every day I learn something new. Every day I hear about a new field or a new, like one of our clients, which is a, a, an incredible company that's third most sustainable global company in the world, Nestle. I hadn't heard of them before we started talking to them. And I learned all about sustainable aviation fuel and, you know, things that you might think, oh, that doesn't sound very exciting. But when you get into it, you realize they're changing the world to make a healthier planet for our children. And I just love the fact that I get inside under the hood in so many different companies and that's why I also think the agency has stayed somewhat diverse instead of just specializing because it's very exciting to have uh, that cross-pollination of ideas from different industries and sectors. And it's, it's, a, it's a fabulous thing to wake up each day and sort of say, what am I going to learn today? 
you know, that that's a very interesting uh, uh, perspective, Christine, because, you know, now having done the uh, PR Masters podcast series for, I think, I don't know, close to three years now, and having interviewed clearly more than 40 top leaders, now, of course, including yourself, I find that one of the common denominators that you all have is, one, how excited you are about the business you're in and the work that you do for clients, and two, you know, your ability and willingness, you know, to uh, to be a sponge, you know, to absorb new information pretty much every day. Uh, would you say that characterizes you pretty accurately? Absolutely. I love it. And, you know, and you heard me say that I'm a grandmother. My my three kids are very far apart in age. They're 15, 23, and 38, my oldest being my, my stepdaughter. But I love the idea, you know, I, because I have all these generations. My husband teases me saying he's another generation because he's four years younger. But um, I like to say I have every generation under my roof and just learning, seeing how they consume information, seeing what they consider valuable news sources, hearing what excites them, what motivates them. Uh, it, it, it's just fascinating, and I do love that. I love that being a sponge at all levels, whether it's from people I know in life, from the organizations that I join and support, or in the business. You know, I'm always fascinated by how my PR masters, which, of course, as I indicated, include you, how how you all got into public relations. And I guess the stories vary. Uh, I'd like to hear your story. How did you get into public sure. relations in the first place? Well, my mine is also a little bit of an odd story in that uh, I majored in radio and television. I went to Ithaca College, upstate New York. And uh, after I graduated, I went to work for uh, a radio station, and I found myself reporting from a 4-H festival, watching a guy carve an ice sculpture with a chainsaw in minus two-degree weather. And I said, I'm reporting. This is not what I want to do with my life. This is not what I signed up for to just be a reporter. And, you know, so I put myself in the hands of a headhunter. I moved back down to New York City, and I interviewed with – an ad agency, a record company, a film company, and a PR firm. And Burson was the first one to give me the job offer, so that's where I went. I really, it was really serendipity. And I just loved the mix of using my writing skills, my corporate skills, and my presentation skills. That It just seemed like PR was the perfect place for me to end up. Wow, wow. I guess we all have similar stories as to how we got into it. <laughs> uh, but let's fast forward a little bit uh, you know, to the present. You have received many awards as one of the top women in PR. So why do you think you have been recognized as such? Well, I think it, it goes back to building the right team. You know, and my, again, I'm on my employee-driven uh, management work style in that I have an incredible team of people behind me, in front of me, on, alongside me, who help make it easy. I think one of the challenges for, for people to be able to succeed and win awards is if you think you have to touch everything – then you can only do as much as you can do. But if you're willing to empower others to help, then the, the ceiling gets higher, you know, gets lower and lower, so to speak, and you're able to do more and more. So I think that's partly why we win awards, because we do it as a team, and you have that multiplier effect. You know, you've, also, you've been a very successful entrepreneur, and you started out as, as a practitioner of public relations. Uh, now, it's not that often, you know, that uh, – uh, somebody can do both, you know, be great at public relations and run a successful business or be a successful entrepreneur. How do you, how, how do you think you've been able to provide both quality work for your clients and manage a growing enterprise? Well, I, again, I think to some extent it's management style. You know, I, I think 
I, I often joke too that I, I minored in um, business when I was in college, and I learned how to read a balance sheet and a P&L. And you know, I, I have often told many of the schools that I talk to that I think it's important since so many PR practitioners eventually may be either freelancers or own their own businesses. You have to understand how business works and how people work. And I always built the business from day one to be bigger than it was at the time. Like I said, we built an intranet when we had 12 people, <laughs> you know, because we just wanted to start getting people into the habit. It's a lot harder once you add a certain size to go backwards. And so I think that always thinking that you are, you know, I had come from Weber Shamwick. They had done such amazing things. I'd seen that agency grow from the Weber group to being the largest in the world. And I saw the tools and the infrastructure that was required. So part of that was making sure that we had infrastructure that was going to really hold us up so that we could grow. And a management style that's more like a coach that says, you know, I'm going to help you get there. You know, Bruce used to say, uh, Bruce Rubin, who started the, the original agency I worked at, see one, do one, teach one. And, you know, that mentality of saying, I'm going to let you watch me. I'm going to do it with you. And then you're going to go do it yourself. And then you're going to be teaching people. You know, it, that's the, the, the speed that our agency moves at. And I think that's what makes for quality work is that everyone gets their hands dirty. Everyone's focused on helping the next person grow and become, you know, a better leader and move up the chain. And the clients really see that passion. You know, I think I think your uh, recommendation that you just stated a few moments ago about uh, PR people who perhaps have uh, the uh, initiative and the desire to start his or her own business at some point, that in addition to learning all about public relations, that they learn about the, the business world as well, how to read a, a balance sheet, how to read a, a P&L statement, you know, how to learn the, the, the rudimentary skills needed to run a business. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. think that's been said too often by anybody, and I, you know, I applaud you for saying that because of how true it is. I ran into that problem myself when I started my own agency. I knew public relations, but I didn't really know how to run a business. I was totally unprepared, and it took me quite a while to learn that. So your recommendation on the combining both skills is a really good one. Absolutely, because you need that. I mean, three of the agencies that we've acquired, uh, when we brought them in, they didn't track time. They really had no sense of profitability besides basic, you know, profitability. Most of them were also S-Corps, so they had a lot of muddy financials as opposed to, you know, thinking of if, if you want to keep clean financials. If someone's going to come in and look at your shop and maybe look to buy you, you want it to look as professional as possible without necessarily, you know, you don't have to go through all the full auditing. But, you know, you should know your profitability. You should know how much time your people are spending. You, you should know what your expense ratios are. You should know if your rent's too high. And some of those things are not hard to do, and you can, you know, hire. I outsourced almost everything from the start. I outsourced my HR to a PEO. I outsourced my accounting to our, our, an accounting firm that also did bookkeeping on the side. We outsourced our IT. And this way we were able to get better people. You know, a lot of firms that are small, the three, all three firms of the, that I acquired all had like a relative doing their books. And it was someone who did it on the side, not necessarily, yeah. you know, and I, I just think, again, if you build your agency from day one thinking that you're going to be a $40 million firm, then it will not serve you wrong. And the investments that you make are not going to be so significant as to really impact your profitability, but they will impact your profitability in the long term if you start smart and build an infrastructure that, that makes sense. Like we did work from, from anywhere long before anyone else. The fact that we already give laptops and cell phones to people and say, 
make it your personal tools too. We don't care. Whatever's easiest for you. We have a work from home stipend. You should have ergonomic stuff at home. The pandemic hit us and really we were already letting people work whenever they wanted. You know, and it's always amazed me when I see people who say, oh, I went to an HR summit and now we're going to allow every other Friday off. And I'm like, you, you, you think you're giving this gift to your employees, but some of them may not want that gift. Why not let them decide? Maybe Fridays is the worst day for me to be off because I have seven client meetings. And Thursday would be better for me. And I just think, again, if you have a business mindset, you look at it not from a, uh, oh, I want to be altruistic and I want everyone to love me. You look at it as this is what makes business sense for efficiency, productivity, and employee retention and recruitment. Wow, that's terrific advice. That really is. Wow. Listeners, are you paying attention right now? This is terrific advice. Absorb what Christine just said, and you'll go very, very far. Uh, Tell me, how has public relations changed, Christine, since you started RBB, and what do you envision to be its future? That's a great question. You know, in some ways, I think it's like comparing a calculator to a smartphone. (laughs) The profession is so much broader. So, So much has changed in 30 years. You have a lot more craft. You have more technology. You have tools, and everything goes faster. I mean, you know, we're of an age, I hate to say, remember when, I remember before there was FedEx. My first job at, at, when I was a person, we didn't even have email. It didn't exist yet. <laughs> we were still working on individual um, word processing machines. But anyway, right. but right. at its core, it, it, in some ways, PR hasn't changed. It's still about creating connections with stakeholders. So when you think about the future, I think technology is only going to continue advancing at the speed of light. And you have to be prepared to navigate it without drowning. You know, we use so many platforms now based on client preference. I have clients who insist we use Slack. Others who say we must use Asana. Others who say we use Basecamp. So we have to have proficiency on all of them and then figuring out which ones you're going to use. You know, so at at RBB, I think we see the future as sort of uh, for PR becoming a melding, more like a McKinsey-type consultant who sits at the table with the C-suite, understands the whole business in order to be better craftsmen in executing the communications that we're responsible for. And I think that there are agencies that are haves and have nots right now you know the pandemic has also shown that those agencies that are diverse that can use technology did better than those who were limited to certain industries and were not tech savvy and could not adapt and so i think that will be the future is again those people who really understand communications and who use technology as a a support not a crutch so my next question, Christine, is uh, about the pandemic, obviously, that has had a dramatic effect on the practice of public relations, uh, a dramatic effect on business generally, of course. Um, hopefully, you know, hopefully we'll be rounding the corner, you know, as, uh, as the mm-hmm. uh, AUS community. Uh, but I wanted to ask you, you know, a couple of related questions regarding the pandemic. Uh, one, you know, how did, how did it affect your firm? Two, what did you learn from it? And three, what lessons do you think all PR agencies uh, should and can learn from what has been taking place and still is taking place, but hopefully will end one day? The effect that it had on us was fairly uh, immediate in that uh, March 17th, you know, we we decided to close our office uh, officially. Um, We lost about 15% of our revenue uh, from the travel sector. Uh, And luckily, we don't have any one sector that is more than 15%, but they immediately went on pause. Uh, But because we've run the firm very efficiently and we had always had business contingency planning in place, we were able to repurpose people 
right from the start. So we, we had some uh, initially, we took some initial uh, salary cuts from the senior team so that we wouldn't have to let anyone go. And the effect immediately on, you know, was a great one in that everyone started reaching out to their clients that they, that to let them know we were here for them. We did little videos for each client sort of saying, we're here for you. We know this is hard. And, you know, just reminding them that we're there for support. And we saw all, basically all the effects happened right away. And then we hit a very even keel after that first month uh, by April. We knew what we were keeping. We knew what we had to build. We knew what staff was expected on. And then everyone started doing what they've always done, continued to drive great results. We started growing organically. We started bringing in new business. And we were able to recoup almost entirely all of our billings to finish the year, you know, equal to what we had the year before. We didn't get our growth in that what we had been planning, but we were very thrilled to make that up in such a short period of time. So what we learned is that we were resilient. We learned that our, our work from anywhere works. We learned that our people uh, are very good at hugging the, the clients and each other and really making sure that the best, um, the best of what we do continue to happen. And I think the lessons learned from that were – some of it was, you know, we had always been a little bit new, uh, focused on trying to keep people collaboratively, physically close, even though you didn't come to the office every day. You know, we didn't hire as many people that weren't in uh, one of our main office areas, New York, L.A., or Miami. But now we don't really care where we hire you from. You know, we, we just brought on six new people, and they're all from wherever. I don't even think we ask anymore <laughs> where they're located. Um, because it's just become so much easier now to get used to the idea of working with people remotely. And, you know, I think the other part is that we do miss the the individual collaboration. I've been doing more one-on-ones with some of the team members because there are some people, as the agency grows, you know, I just don't see. They're not on the accounts that I may be more active in. And I used to see them in the lunchroom or I'd see them at events, and now I don't see them. So you have to make a concerted effort to see them because otherwise six months go by and you're like, Oh my goodness, I haven't talked to Jean and Trevor. So I think those, those are some of the, the lessons, but overall, I think the number one thing we learned is, you know, we're resilient and we're smart. And like my employee group came up with in that month of March, when we, we lost all those billings, they formed a team and they came back and we had almost $300,000 in savings that they suggested that we could cut from subscriptions and dues and events and things that we were doing. And they took it upon themselves to say, here's how we can save money so that we can keep the, the staff intact and the client service high. I'm sure that, that, that made you feel really good about the team you put together without question. Um, so just switching subjects for a moment, uh, Christine, which I guess I often do in my line of questioning. Uh, one, one of your deep interests uh, is in diversity, inclusion, and pay equity. Um, what, do you, what do you believe to be the current status of those in public relations and, and in the workplace in general? And what is it you're, uh, you're working to achieve in, in those areas? Sure. Well, when I first came, I uh, was acquired by the Weber Group. One of the things that attracted me the most was that they really saw the uh, people as you know, entrepreneurs sitting around a table and building something together. And my previous experiences working with a lot of other agencies or people that I know and had seen that, you know, while PR was a female driven agency, it wasn't female led. And I was very, I learned a lot from watching, you know, some great luminaries who were at Weber at the time, you know, and, you know, Mary Mosier, Gail Hyman, you know, women there. And I really felt like when I did my own agency, it was important to me that it would be an agency built on transparency, 
that it be an agency that could never be questioned in terms of equity. And so, you know, in some ways, because we're certified woman-owned, we're, we're actually today, we're 30% male. So we still, we have more men, but we're still very female-driven. But at our leadership ranks, we are still, you know, it's not that all the men are at the top. <laughs> That's the women at the top uh, with, with a couple of the men as well. But from the very beginning, again, setting up that right infrastructure, I've always published salary ranges by title. Everyone in the agency can see what you make at every title. We've always tracked our diversity, you know, so that we could look at it and say, now we happen to be in an area where some diversity is a little easier. We're 48% Latin, 44% white, and then we're 8% black and Asian. And what I would say, there's several people here who identify as a multiracial. And we track that and we look at it to see, you know, how are we ensuring that we have hiring practices that don't discriminate? How do we ensure that we are pulling from different parts of the community so we don't hire just mirror lookalikes of who we have? So last year, for example, we entered into a partnership with an HBCU, Howard University, um, where it includes internships and shared lunch and learns. And again, for agencies of our size to do that level of detail work is not that common, but I think it's important to make sure that you're reaching out to the experts and to the resources that are going to help make you diverse because that's what's going to ensure that you're going to be a, an agency that really understands how to look at target audiences from a holistic point of view. And, and I even take it to the extent of, you know, you want to have different types of people because I, I just had this conversation with one of my employees today who was talking about the difference between account service and being sort of a, a specialist. And I said, you know, two of our partners are not PR people. It's the, the, our head of HR is a partner in our agency, equity owner, and our head of operations. You don't have to be a rainmaker or someone who brings in revenue to add value to the company. And you have to give opportunities equally. Otherwise, people think, you know, well, the only way I'm going to get ahead is if I fit this mold. So if you start thinking of it as who adds value and how do you add value and how do you make sure that you have people for every type of situation? How do you make sure you have enough young people, older people, you know, people of different sexual orientation? Because every client is going to need to, to, to identify with their account team and feel like their account team is representative of what we are, in fact, selling on their behalf. So I've always thought from the beginning it's crucial, and it doesn't happen by accident. It only happens on purpose. Well, Christine, all I can say is that you are truly, truly a role model in terms of, a, of an agency head. Um, I've got three more questions for you, uh, and they're, sure. they're really more personal in nature. I mean, uh, you've been very clear about your viewpoints on running the agency and uh, how, you know, how to generate the highest level of uh, quality and service uh, and the innovative, uh, uh, active, uh, the innovative way of life you achieve in your own agency among your people. Um, you're way ahead of the game, uh, I must say. Uh, no wonder you've grown so rapidly and no, no wonder you're so Thank successful. You. Um, so uh, a personal question. You, you, you work hard. You do a lot of things. You're involved with a lot of different groups. Uh, do you have any hobbies? What do you do when you're kind of on your own? Yes. Uh, uh, well, the pandemic means I've done, done a lot more of one of my hobbies, which is cooking. I've always liked to cook. That's the Italian and Greek side of me. Uh, my other, the pandemic has kept me from doing the other side, which is a lot less traveling. But my biggest hobby uh, is uh, Christmas ornament collecting. I do it all year. I used to go, I am a big fan of Hallmark. I've been out to uh, Kansas City many times for their events. 
Um, I decorate on average 13 to 14 trees. I have huge events that, you know, that start in October where I bring people, they bring their kids. And we do cookie baking and gingerbread house building. And I do tours of all of the decorations inside. Uh, and it's, it's really something that um, sort of gives me a little bit of fun all year round because the ornament season starts in July. There's previews now that are already coming out, sneak peeks. And it, it's something my Christmas, uh, my phone is all Christmas ringtones. There's Christmas trees on my desk all year. And people kind of tease me about it, but I always feel like when there's a moment of stress and there's a little bit of craziness, all I have to do is do one of my, you know, start looking at some of my Christmas planning, and it all just drops away. So. Oh well, you know, what's the old expression? You know, when when you want something done, give it to a busy person, and you are a busy <laughs> person. <laughs> and my second to last question of the day is, how do you want to be remembered? Well, you know, that, that's funny. Uh, I'm going to tell you a story uh, about that because last year, right before the pandemic, I was in a restaurant with my family, and the waiter came over towards the end of the meal, and he brought me a paper menu, and I looked at it, and I thought, we, were, we already ordered. And he said, no, a gentleman over at the door asked me to bring this over to you because uh, he didn't want to disturb you. And I looked on the back of the paper, and he would written a note, and it said something like, dear Christine, I, I worked for you 15 years ago in your IT department you know, when we were part of Weber, and I watched how you lead and manage the agency. And I, I saw someone who talked about not even knowing an entrepreneur when growing up or being the first to go to college and become someone I admired. And he said, you inspired me when I left Weber to start my own IT company. And how crazy that I would see you here today because today, yesterday, I sold my company for $3 million. And I wanted to thank you for the inspiration that you gave me and I never forgot. And, you know, I went to look for him. He had already left and I had his email. I sent him a note the next day and I, you know, obviously I kept that letter, but to me, that was, I want to be remembered for whatever list I gave to those around me so that they could achieve. And, you know, the, I've had interns send me letters 15 years later showing me their title as chief communication officer of XYZ company. And that to me is what is just so incredibly heartwarming that, you know, you made a difference enough for somebody else to succeed. You know, that says it all. That says it all. That's beautiful. So my final question, Christine Barney, uh, and my question is, so where do you see Christine Barney in the years ahead? Well, my husband always jokes that we should open a Christmas ornament store somewhere. And <laughs> <laughs> but um, to, to me, uh, you know, I love living in Miami. I love uh, visiting, traveling. You know, my kids, unfortunately, have I, I, I have not been able to convince them to come back to live. So they're scattered. One's in New Jersey, one's in D.C. And I think my youngest, who's only 15, will probably end up somewhere else but I will go and see them. So for me, I mean, where I want to be in the years ahead is still learning something new every day, meeting interesting people in interesting places, and spending time with my kids and grandkids. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Well, Christine, that about does it. You know, you've uh, you've given me and our listeners on the PR Masters podcast a lot to think about uh, and, and really a, a terrific amount of of, uh, of inspiration and uh, insights into what makes a successful agency, um, how the profession has changed and, and uh, taken advantage of technology, and all of the quality of life uh, initiatives that you have demonstrated in your agency. No wonder you've grown so rapidly. And I applaud you, and our listeners applaud you. So, Christine Barney, thank you so much for being with us today. You have truly inspired us. 
Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. And I look forward to hearing the next people you have on your podcast. Always learning. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Christine. So on behalf of our listeners, I really thank you for joining us today and sharing your views with us. And I thank you all for tuning into another of the Stevens Group PR Masters podcast series. So until next time, I'm Art Stevens, wishing you all the very best.